You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Well, it's my joy this morning to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word, whether that's on your phone or a pew Bible or looking on with someone else or, or your own Bible in your lap to our sermon text for this morning, which is a new one, Lamentations chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Lamentations chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Of course, you can find the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament just after Jeremiah as we begin a new sermon series. I mean, it's cold out there. And I'm really grateful to see so many new faces. I said that last Sunday. It means a lot to us, and it means a lot to the Lord that you would come out in the cold and come worship with us this morning. And for church members, it means a lot that we would come out in the cold uh, here. It is cold out there, but it's beautiful. The Lord has given us a beautiful day, and that's, that's really wonderful. We're beginning a new sermon series this morning in the book of Lamentations. And uh, this is uh, a unique book for us to preach through. Uh, it won't take us very long, just right up until the beginning of, of summer, uh, in June. And then uh, we're actually going to preach through the book of Matthew for quite a long time with those normal breaks in the summer and in the winter. But now we're coming to a new sermon series, and we're grateful for that. Uh, guests, we just finished preaching through the book of Galatians as we thought a lot about the law of God and its expectations of us and how we've not met those expectations and the good news of the gospel, which answers the, the condemning judgment of the law on us by giving us the good news of Jesus, who lived, died, and rose again for us. And not long before that, actually, we preached a sermon series through the book of Philippians. And that sermon series was titled Connoisseurs of Happiness. And in the book of Philippians, which is the epistle of joy, written by the Apostle Paul, we really set our hearts on what it means to be happy in Christ. And so now we've decided as pastors that it would be good for us to go back to the Old Testament. We want a good, healthy, well-rounded diet of the Bible, and that it would be appropriate for us to come now to the book of Lamentations and to set our hearts on the sin and suffering and hardship that we feel in life. That may not sound like very much fun, but it's what we need. And you know, I, I think it's actually easy when you hear me talk about um, Philippians and then Lamentations. I, you know, actually, I think it's easy for us to think, oh, I see what you're doing. So you went to a book of the Bible that's all about happiness with not a lot of sin and suffering, and now you're going to go to a book of the Bible to round it out that's all about sin and suffering, but not really about happiness. It would be easy to think that, but actually, that's not true, is it? Because all the time that we spent in the book of Philippians, we had in our hearts and minds, as Paul did, the hard reality of what it means to live in a fallen world as fallen people. We have that constant trio of the world and the flesh, our sin, and our enemy, the devil, at work uh, around us and in some ways in us. And in the midst of all of that, we still have the shining good news of the gospel, which is encouraging and comforting and uplifting our hearts toward the happiness that we have in Christ. And it is also true that in the book of Lamentations, it's going somewhere. It's not simply a book, as we'll see over these next few months, of venting 
the heartache of pain and suffering and sin, but it's taking us somewhere. And in fact, as we'll see, it's actually taking us to the same place that the book of Philippians was taking us. It's taking us to the same place that every book of the Bible takes us. It ultimately takes us to Christ, who is the answer to all of our sin and suffering, to all of our hardship and all of the temptations and trials and troubles and losses and crosses and everything else that we experience in this fallen world. Therefore, we have really high expectations for the book of Lamentations, even though many of us feel maybe a little uncomfortable with it. It's hard to imagine that we'll spend the next three months and quite a bit of it is going to be kind of heavy and and full of sorrow and sadness. But along the way, we do have an agenda. We have the agenda of the Bible. We have God's agenda. And our agenda is to see the restorative, the redemptive power of sadness and sorrow. As we consider what it means to be fallen people, in a fallen world. And this is what we pray God will do in us. And it, to be quite transparent with you, I feel the same kind of discomfort as well. You know, I never feel, I never feel as comfortable or maybe competent might be the word, preaching from the Old Testament, actually. It's always a, a much heavier challenge that I feel, and that makes me feel a little insecure about it. But we know that God is up to the task to help all of us. We're, we're going to be in this together as we're growing and learning and changing and looking to Christ. So hopefully you've turned to Lamentations chapter 1, and we're going to give a little bit of an introduction here and work through just the first seven verses. Now what we're going to see here is that, that the book of Lamentations actually follows, rightly so, on the heels of the book of Jeremiah by Jeremiah the prophet which records here the destruction of the holy city Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And what the book of Lamentations does following Jeremiah, we're not really sure who wrote the book of Lamentations. It's thought that it could be Jeremiah, but it's not exactly clear, is that the book of Lamentations is going to unpack for us the kind of aftermath or a review of what that conquest as a result of the sin of God's people, what it meant to them, how they feel about it. And the author of Lamentations personifies this experience by talking about a city, about the city Jerusalem, but talking about a personified experience of sin and suffering. And as, as we look at it, what we're going to actually be able to do is not only understand what that was like, but also to see more clearly the way that the Bible understands all that we experience. And it's going to give us a kind of mirror in which we can see ourselves. We can see our own reflection of, of sin, yes, of suffering, of hardship, of sadness, of grief, of difficulty that all of us feel in this life. And I think that's a really good thing for us because, you know, I, I recognize, as I'm sure you do as well, that we live in a culture, especially right now, that wants nothing to do with sadness and sorrow. We want to drive it away at all costs. The first moment that we feel anything like that or any kind of hardship, we just want to get rid of it. We're, we're, it's like we're allergic to it. But what we're seeing in the book of Lamentations over these next few months is the redemptive power of being in touch with those experiences, of being honest with those experiences. Not to sit and, and dwell on them, not to sulk in them, 
not to lose ourselves in them, but actually to find Christ in them. It's a great opportunity for us. As we look at this book of Lamentations, we will find that that it's titled what it is exactly for that reason. It is lamenting. It is an expression of the sorrow and sadness and suffering and even sin that has happened among the people of God. And what the book of Lamentations is essentially is five poems, five chapters. Each chapter, as we break them down, are each a poem. And if you want to go ahead and look, just flip a few pages forward through the book of Lamentations and see the way that it's structured, because it's really interesting. The first four poems are all divided up and identified according to the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and then each little stanza or section of the poem falls under one of those letters. So what we have in the book of Lamentations is a kind of A to Z of the human experience of suffering, of the experience of suffering by God's people. We have a a comprehensive view of it. That's why I believe the author of Lamentations structured it that way. And yet, in the same way, we recognize that this is describing a feeling that sometimes we have had in our lives, and maybe you're going through it now, is a a completely disorienting experience of hardship and, and just what it means to live in this world. It seems out of control, and yet it's as if the Holy Spirit, through the author of Lamentations, is reminding us, even from the structure of that alphabetical order, that it is not out of control. It is all well-documented. It is all seen and understood and categorized and ordered for you by God himself, by the God who ordains all of those things that we experience, all of our sadness and suffering. We have have nowhere else to go but to him, and we have no other truth to hold to but that he is in control of it because he is our hope. And that's what we find here in the book of Lamentations. This will be good for us to get our hearts and minds around that a little bit more. It will be good for me. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to begin by just considering three experiences as we see them in the first seven verses. These are experiences of God's people, again, personified as the city of Jerusalem. And along the, along the way, we're going to find these kind of markers of our own suffering and our own struggle in our lives. And we hope, as I said earlier, to find the redemptive power of sadness and sorrow, of really being able to look with hope and, yes, with joy because of Christ into these things that we all know are true and real. Here is the first experience, the first picture, the first characteristic of the city. First, the author of Lamentations in the first two verses shows us that the city following this conquest and, and in a feeling of, of, of its relationship to the Lord, that it is a lonely city. That the results of, of the consequences of sin, of the burden of sin, of the suffering of the world, of the fallenness of everything that we know, of yes, the world, the flesh, and the devil can press in upon us with a real lasting, heart-aching sense of loneliness. Let's read the first two verses. I'll read them aloud as you follow along in your heart. How she, there's the city, how she sits alone 
the city once crowded with people. She who was great among the nations has become like a widow. The princess among the provinces has been put to forced labor. She weeps aloud during the night with tears on her cheeks. There is no one to offer her comfort, not one from all her lovers. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. We have this picture here of Jerusalem, the holy city, which was once vibrant and populous, now being seen as sitting in a kind of desolation and isolation. The imagery of a deserted city in the book of Lamentations really serves as a powerful symbol of this desolation. Uh, Imagine it. You might imagine the great cities of the world even now. Uh, Imagine a once bustling and vibrant city now being empty, forlorn. It's the sense as though the the hardship and the suffering and the sadness, the loneliness is, is echoing through the streets because of a kind of haunting memories of the past. This is something that we all feel sometimes, isn't it? We all look back upon our lives and we feel as though there are things missing, there are ways that sin has, has robbed us or other, other providences in life have taken away uh, things that we once treasured. What was once vibrant may not seem as vibrant. It may even seem desolate today. That's a hard place to be. There are people in the room who are there. When you hear these words, you might not think about Jerusalem. You might not think about Lamentations. You might think about you. You might think about your life. You might think about your family or your your marriage or or something else that once gave you joy and was vibrant, and, and now it's cast upon it this pall of loneliness this sorrowful kind of condition of Jerusalem is poignantly portrayed as like a widow abandoned by her lovers and betrayed by her friends. You see it in verse two. She weeps aloud during the night with tears on her cheeks. There's no one to offer her comfort. All of her friends have betrayed her. It's the betrayal of former allies, right or wrong. It's still the betrayal of former allies and then the abandonment by them that now has left her lonely. You know, one of the pictures, when I read the Bible, and I want to encourage you to do the same if you don't. You you probably kind of naturally do it just because it's the way God's made us, but sometimes we need a little more effort at it. To, to really make use of this skill that God's given to us. But when you're reading the Bible, it's really good to be thinking in pictures. I think we talked about that a little bit before. To think about what kind of pictures is this text bringing to my mind and heart so that I can, I can really picture it. That's, that's what the Bible is doing. That's what the authors of the Bible and on every page, that's what they're doing. When I read this and throughout Lamentations, especially here, I keep having this image in my mind of, you know, we've seen it a lot recently because of wars around the world and because of satellite imagery. You know how that we have satellites looking down like Google Maps and you can look and you can see like, you're, you can even see your car in your driveway. The technology is so amazing. But now with wars, you can see on the news when they'll show a picture before the war 
and then a picture after the war, the attack. It's really striking and amazing and very sad to see such a, a populated, beautiful, built-up city then just leveled. And it goes from being bright in color and dimension to being flat and brown. This is the kind of picture that comes to mind for me as I think about this. Jerusalem has suffered here of this disappointment and abandonment. Notice again in verse 1, hear these words. And, and notice the way that the Bible is so clear about the experience of suffering in the world. To put these words on it. These are not haphazardly chosen words. These are intentional words. How she sits alone having once been crowded with people. Such a contrast between those two. Or in verse 2, that there's no one to offer her comfort, yet there once were. Because all of her, quote, friends have betrayed her and become her enemies. There's a kind of devastating reversal that has happened here. And of course, the people of God had trusted, which was part of what brought this about, had trusted in foreign allies in a way that God had forbidden and had placed trust in them when they were not trustworthy. And now those, quote, friends, or as the Bible puts it here, in a striking way, lovers, have all abandoned. They have fled away. They are no longer there to help. This is, again, uh, one of those themes that comes up a lot in other places in the Bible, like in the book of Psalms. As I read this, I was reminded of Psalm 20, verse 7. This will probably be familiar to you, whether you have read it a lot or not. It's a, it's a common verse. Some take pride in chariots and others in horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. One of the ways that the people of God in the Old Testament had gone wrong was by placing their trust in, quote, horses and chariots. This is a common warning. It's, it's a, even, in, even in Jeremiah 17, we see that there are two kinds of people. There's one that trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. And there's another one that trusts in the Lord. And the Lord is his strength. The one that trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength ends up being desolate and living in kind of like a, a stony wasteland or a, a salt field where there's, there's no nourishment. There's no, there's, everything is dried up and dead. But yet the other that trusts in the Lord and makes the Lord his trust flourishes, even in the midst of that stony wasteland, even in the midst of a desert. There is a supernatural nourishment that comes to that person, which is in Jeremiah personified as a tree. It's a very similar picture here, getting at the heart issue. And this is where it lands into our lives because this is where the Bible meets us in the daily moments for ourselves. And so we could take away from this even as we read it, not simply looking at what happened and say, oh, that's really a shame. Uh, you know, well, I guess they, they should have lived differently or, or they wouldn't have faced these consequences, but rather to think about our own lives. I need to think about my own life because you know what? I trust in horses and chariots too. I put my hope every day in some little way here and there. I bounce back and forth between trusting in my flesh and trusting in the Lord. And so do you. We're getting a real picture of the Bible's understanding of what this means, uh, not only the experience, uh, not only the causes of it, but also the experience of it. 
But then, as I said earlier, we want to keep our eyes on where this is going. Where do you think this is going? If you've not read ahead in the book of Lamentations, where do you think all of this is going? Why all this recounting of, of lament? Is it simply just a kind of like shame festival? Uh, we're going to put everybody on a you know, guilt trip. This is just, it's just like show everybody how horrible things have gotten. Is that all that it's about, to sit and just identify that? It's not. Actually, if you look forward, it's taking us again back to Christ, to the one who reverses the reversal. The one who flips that script of life is Christ himself. And instead of trusting in horses and chariots, God's, God holds out himself as the true resting place of our trust. And that's why even here in the midst of sadness and sorrow, there is for us who are New Testament Christians and we know and clearly the gospel that there is good news. Here in the book of Lamentations, we've not yet reached, of course, the New Testament of the Bible, where then we see Jesus on the scene in his incarnation, living a perfect life in our place, and then dying a sacrificial death in our place, and then rising from the dead, and by a supernatural work of grace alone, bringing all different kinds of people, all different languages and colors and places, bringing them to himself. But we know that that's what he's doing and therefore, it's wise for us as we read Lamentations to keep that in mind because we know that the tension is worked out in Christ. And this is the good news, that God offers us the promises of an eternal covenant in which he, as a reversal of this experience for Jerusalem and as a reversal of your experience and mine, of loneliness in the world, that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. What I love about our church is that one of the things is that every Sunday there are people here that I don't know. And what that means is I don't know you. I want to get to know you. And I don't know where you are in the, the Christian life. I don't know where you stand with Jesus. And so no matter who you are, I want you to hear this, that there is good news. No matter how lonely, no matter how sad, no matter how desolate maybe your life has become, even because of your own sin, at your own hand, because of your own poor judgment or your own uh, disobedience to God, just like I have, that there is good news for you. And that good news is the good news of the gospel that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for you. And that by faith in him, you can repent and trust and you can come to know him. And there can be an ultimate reversal in your life. He is the only one that ultimately is worthy of our trust. And he's the only one who will care for us in the midst of our sorrow and sadness. Here it put another way in Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. It's just another way of talking about horses and chariots. I don't know what it is for you. What are your horses and chariots? Is it your job? Is it your, you know, your degree? Is it some person in your life that you've entrusted to, to make sure that you're comforted and you're cared for and this is the ultimate person in your life? 
Or maybe it's something else. It could be something more sinister than that. It could be something, you know, I know it always sounds like played out like after school special, like some substance, drugs, alcohol, addiction. There's all these things. But we're reminded over and over again in Scripture that we can keep our lives from these, and as Hebrews says, be content with what we have, what he provides for us, because he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, one way that we can take even the first two verses and apply them to our own hearts in daily life is simply this. If you have faith in Christ, you should surround yourself with God's precious and magnificent promises. That's the answer to these two verses and many more. His promises. When you read this, it can become a depressing picture and it can seem as though there's no hope. Is that what the book of Lamentations is intending to communicate to us? That things are really bad and there's no hope? Actually, no. The book of Lamentations is bringing us face to face with the suffering and hardship of the world, similar to the way that we see in the book of Job, which is about one person. This is about a whole group of people. In fact, it could be even the whole world in a sense as we understand the effects of sin and God's wrath and judgment and our opposition to him. But nevertheless, the ultimate promise, the ultimate hope of the book of Lamentations is that God keeps his promises. Israel had not kept her promises. Jerusalem had not kept her promises. Her promises were not precious and magnificent. They were desolate. They were broken down. But his are. And therefore, we need to surround ourselves with those promises every day. Are you one of those people in the room who look at your life, you pull the satellite image, and it's flat and brown? You need God's precious and magnificent promises. You need other people around you who can encourage you and feed you those truths because it's the only way that we will be able to face these experiences and to find help and hope. First picture, a lonely city. Second picture, a captive city. Notice next as we look at verse three, four, and five, the theme of slavery now is laid on top of the theme of loneliness. What we're getting in the book of Lamentations is a kind of layering effect of the sorrow and sadness and hardship of Jerusalem, of life. And we're seeing it stack up and stack up, which is, again, similar to what we saw in the book of Galatians, the way that the law puts us in a place of ultimate kind of hopelessness where we, we have nowhere else to look and we don't know what to do. And then there comes emerging the shining hope of our situation, who is Christ. And here is another layer of slavery. Notice in verse three, some key words. Notice the words exile, oppression, harsh labor, no rest, being overtaken by enemies. Verse three says, Judah has gone into exile after suffering oppression and harsh labor. Exile is to be taken away from your home and to be scattered out in the world, a place that you don't recognize, that you don't know. She lives among the nations and has found no place to rest. All who pursue her have overtaken her in narrow places. It continues in verse four, 
with the grief and the bitterness of exile. The roads to Zion mourn. The roads are, are actually seen as mourning. They're crying out and weeping. All of the roads to this city, for no one comes to the appointed festivals. What was once a place of, of celebration and joy or happiness is now a quiet all of her gates are deserted. What was at the place of interaction, of communication, of trade and, and prosperity are now closed. Her priests groan. Her young women grieve. She herself is bitter. Or in verse 5, the slavery of her masters who, who live at ease while she is in suffering. Her adversaries have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease for the Lord has made her suffer because of her many acts of rebellion. Her children have gone away as captives before the adversary. But the author of Lamentation says clearly that her captivity is the result of her sin and that she's in captivity with her children in verse 5. This is one of those places where we hear some things that are hard for us to hear as we reflect on our own lives. When I have to think about many of the things in my own life that have been hard, they have very often been connected to my own failings, my own failings before the Lord, my own disobedience to Him. It's a reminder how serious God takes our sin. Because look at what has happened as a result of these transgressions, as a result of this disobedience. We know as Christians today, you know, we even make songs about it. We say things like, trust and obey. You, could, you know where this is going. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Lamentations is giving us, again, the flip side of that song. It's an entirely different song. It's the reality of what it means to be separated from Christ as we understand that or to be at odds with him and to be suffering because of our sin, distrust and disobey. There is no other way to be miserable before Jesus than to distrust and disobey. That's the song. That's the song that Lamentations is singing. But again, not singing it without hope, but rather hearing in the refrain that echoing reversal of the song that Christ has done all for us and by grace we come to him. This touches really our daily lives, doesn't it? And this is all surprising to us, I think, because we just don't tend to think in these terms. Again, we're sort of allergic to it. Or as it can be for many of us, even as Christians, that, that we've been told that the Christian life is different than it turns out to be. That's kind of an expectation problem, isn't it? This is going to sound really silly and trivial, but it means something to me. This week, I had a really trivial experience with this. So, uh, Catherine got a bunch of, um, I don't know, you guys call them sodas or pops. I can't say it. That's not what I call it. I call them Cokes. They're all different. You know, anything with fizz in it is a Coke. And you just then tell what the brand is. But we got all of these because they were on sale and it was a good deal. And she got one, which is called Fresca. Have you ever had Fresca before? Now listen to this. When I was growing up, we very often had Fresca in our house. My parents loved it. I hated it. I did not like it at all. And I didn't like it because as Cokes go, it didn't taste like I expected. You know, like 
Sprite, Mountain Dew, Sundrop, Dr. Pepper. Those are delicious. And so when I drank a Fresca, which was supposed to be in that family, I didn't get it. It was like, this is disgusting. This isn't a Coke, right? So I didn't like it. She got some the other day. Now, I'm a little further down the road. I pay a little more attention, so this time I read the can. You know what I learned? Fresca is not a Coke. (laughs) It's sparkling water. But you know what? I love sparkling water. And when I tasted the Fresca, I loved it. Now, this is going to sound silly and trivial, but go with me on this because it means something to me. I realized why I didn't like it before. It's because I didn't understand it. I didn't know what it was. I had an expectation of what this was supposed to be, and it disappointed me. This is supposed to be like a Coke. But now I know that's not what it's supposed to be. That's not apparently, to my surprise, what it ever was supposed to be. But now I know. And knowing, it turns out, I love it. It's the same thing with the Christian life in a much more important way. If you come into the Christian life thinking that it is going to be all sugar and delight, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You might even give up on the Christian life. Because this is not what I feel like I was promised. I feel like I got a, I got a bad deal here. Because when I came to Jesus, I, all of my problems were supposed to go away. I wasn't supposed to be sorrowful or sad. I wasn't supposed to have any more difficulty. That's what Christian life is supposed to be, right? Because that's what a lot of people on TV tell me. Preachers on TV. But that's not true, is it? That's not what the Christian life is about. That's the beauty of the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is telling you in clear terms, this is the hardship of life in a fallen world. This is what life is. And knowing that, we can receive it and face it, and we can face it in a way that we never could have otherwise. So I want you to know, if you're here today, and you have become dissatisfied with the Christian life, it might be because of your expectations. It might be because you've come in think, expecting something different than what it actually is. And I want you to know that the Bible is key because the Bible tells us what the Christian life is to be. And it gives us hope even in the moments that can be full of sadness and sorrow. We have every good reason to trust and obey But what do we do when we see our own sin has produced hardship and suffering in our lives? That's what the book of Lamentations is showing us, that we could take a a clear account and recognition of our pain and suffering and sin. And then, and then in the gospel, we can turn to Christ who loves us and comforts us. This city, as we're going to see in the book of Lamentations, the city of Jerusalem is contrasted with the true Jerusalem. This is the the true city of Christ that we, by faith in him, will one day be 
ultimately, finally, fully a part of, one that he is preparing for us. We need all other kinds of of scripture to come in and, and to inform our understanding of the book of Lamentations as we do every book of the Bible. That's the way the Bible works. It's a it's a unified book. It's not just a series of stories and books. They're all together, written by one ultimate divine author, and all taking us to one place to this ultimate true Jerusalem. So when we hear these words about about a a captive city or a lonely city or, as we will in a moment, a broken-down city, and we see the pictures, we still must hold on tightly to the gospel. We need this book to do for us what it's intended, to lead us to Christ, to lead us to the city in John 14, which is described this way, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. In order for us to get the most out of the book of Lamentations, here's a second application from this morning as we thought about this captive city, is we do need to be willing to engage the reality of our suffering with hope of a future home. We still need to keep in tension the reality of what it means to be in this life and the future reality of where Christ is taking us and how even now he is preparing us, he is working in us. He is, even through frowning providences, hiding his smiling face, that he is at work in our hearts, he's at work in our lives, and that when we feel that our lives are reflecting the lamentations and the need to lament, we can do it, and we can do it with hope. We of all people are then equipped to be able to face and embrace the hardships even of our, because of our own sin when we face those consequences and to do it in a way that leads us out and into hope. The final picture that I want you to see this morning in the brief time that we have left is that this city is described next in verses six and seven as a broken down city. Uh, In some ways, that's what we're seeing throughout the book of Lamentations. But the once glorious city now stands, as we've seen, stripped of its splendor, stripped of its leaders, stripped of its precious belongings. Listen to verse 6. All her splendor has vanished. From From daughter Zion, her leaders are like stags that find no pasture. They walk away exhausted before the hunter. Verse six shows this loss of, of leadership that was so important in the exhaustion of those who, who once were flourishing. Stags are, are like wild animals that are grazing out there, always in search of, of food out in the world. And therefore, as a result, they have become, because of the desolation, exhausted and weak before their Predators, essentially around them, is what this is suggesting. Therefore, the picture of this city, Jerusalem, is similar to what we read in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, is the, the kind of place or the kind of person that Satan is looking to devour. If you remember reading this, that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you look at who Satan seeks to devour, it's those who are, who are weakened, who are on the fringes, who have lost touch with their leadership, and they have lost hope. It's a similar picture here. 
But speaking to our common experiences of brokenness, notice how Jerusalem remembers all of her precious belongings. This is one of those experiences in life that I think we're all going to face at some point in various ways, is the, the sense of loss. The loss of dreams. We had certain plans out in front of us and they seem to be, you know, uh, dark and gray or, or maybe they're gone altogether. This book can remind us that we can even take account of those losses because we have something far more precious. We can look at the precious belongings of our life that we once hoped would, would come true or, or, or things that we anticipated later down the road, experiences with our family or, or, or whatever it may be. All of those things that were precious to us. And sometimes, whether it's because of sin or suffering or the fall or someone else or whatever is the case, sometimes those are lost. But the reminder here again and again is that we have a more precious belonging, and that is Christ. Therefore, even in this moment, we can look to him with hope as he can satisfy our hearts. Whether through our sin or other means, the fallen world often means loss. But Christ is a means of gain for us. Not gain of things in the world, not gain of material possessions again, though he, he may certainly bless us with those or return those to us, but ultimately spiritual possession of knowing him and belonging to him. So I want to share as we come to a close this morning an important kind of model that ultimately the book of Lamentations, the entire Bible is doing. And the model works basically like this. When we are without, the answer to this is Jesus. Now, that sounds very Sunday school, right? If you think about all of these experiences, you can take all of them, and you should, and you can see the way that Christ turns them over, how he is the one who replaces them. He's the one who fills in the gaps and the holes. He is the one who restores dreams in himself. He's the one who, who brings us back to our, our, our past joy again by becoming our joy for us. But that is the order, and that's how we need to be thinking when we face these things in life. Now, it can't be Sunday school. It can't be Sunday school. Sunday school is not going to work. Just to say, when this happens, Jesus is good, but that's not enough. It has to have the color. You see, what Lamentations is doing is depicting for us multicolored suffering and sorrow and sadness so that then the gospel will return into that and flood back in a multicolored kind of joy and hope in Christ so that we will look to him. And so this is the model. Let me give you examples. I'm gonna give a handful of them. Hopefully you can keep up with them on the screen. They should be there. Follow this principle and see if you can't begin practicing this in your life. We're taking simply the experiences of this city as we've seen this morning and looking to Christ with them, okay? When we are without compassion, without companions, Jesus. Jesus what? You need to be able to fill in the blank. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. He promises to be with us even to the end of the age. When we have no place to rest, Jesus. Jesus invites us to find rest in him. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
When our enemies overtake us, Jesus is our refuge and fortress, a very present help in trouble. He fights on our behalf and no weapon formed against him or us shall prosper as a result. When we mourn, and this book is about mourning, Jesus is the comforter who blesses those who mourn and promises them comfort. He understands our grief and is close to the brokenhearted. When we feel oppressed by enemies, Jesus is the deliverer who sets the captives free. He assures us that in him, we have peace despite the troubles of the world. When we are exhausted, Jesus provides strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. He invites us to find rest in him and promises that again, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. When we are vulnerable, Jesus is our protector who watches over us day and night. He is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep and lays down his life for them. When we lose our splendor, Jesus offers us eternal and unfading glory in his presence. He restores our dignity and crowns us with honor and glory by grace alone. Can you do that? You must. You have to learn to do this. You cannot sit in these seven verses and just soak in them. You have to look at them and you have to gaze into them with a purpose, with a direction, and the direction is in Christ. That we would be able to do this in our daily lives is my sincere prayer as one of your pastors because this life is full of sorrow and sadness. This life is full of loss and difficulty. Christ is the answer. Therefore, the last kind of application this morning to our lives is this. We've already considered this morning that we should surround ourselves with God's precious and magnificent promises and that we should be willing to engage with the reality of suffering, with the hope of a future home. But here last is where we come back again and we place over top of each other Philippians and Lamentations. And we see a reflection in them both of the balance between the reality of this hardship and the ultimate goodness of Christ. Therefore, we can rejoice just as we have through that list that I provided for us, we rejoice in the resolution of the tension that we feel when we read Lamentations. We feel this pressure and this hardship and this heaviness and this burden, but we know that Christ is coming. But for those of us who live today, we know that Christ has come. We know that he is present. And while these may persist and continue in our lives, the tension has been resolved by Christ. And therefore, we look to him in the midst of it. We pray that our time and lamentations as we move forward will help us keep doing this. This is about daily life. This is about real life. This is about how we are going to walk with Christ in the midst of a fallen world as fallen people. And we pray that God will use this in us. If you're here today again and you need to become a Christian, I hope that you will today. I hope that you will repent of your sin by crying out to him in your heart to save you and that you would ask him to give you everything that you need so that you can believe in him and follow him forevermore. And if you make that decision and God is, or God's working in your heart and you want to talk about it, we want to talk with you. So you can find anyone uh, after the service. I'll be around, other pastors around. We'd love to meet you, talk, get together another time because it's important and we all need each other, especially in light of what we're considering in the book of Lamentations. So please, as you're able, let me ask you to stand right now so that we can pray and then we're going to sing again.
It's always our desire that as we sing after the sermon that we take these truths with us into the songs that we sing. So I hope that you'll do that. Engage. I know there are a lot of distractions. We're thinking of some of us about kids, some of us about lunch. Focus in on the words of the songs and bring these truths to bear upon them. Father, we pray that you would help us to do that today as we sing. And as we continue on uh, in the days and weeks to come, we pray that you help us to continue to sing these songs, uh, not only to sing the songs of sorrow and sadness, which we find in the book of Lamentations, but to sing the brighter and higher song of Christ who answers all of those concerns and, 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 and soothes all of those wounds and pains. We pray that uh, we would place our hope more and more and more in you by faith in Christ. So we pray you help us today and we pray that you would plant these seeds of truth in our hearts and we pray that you would cause us to look forward to the, the ultimate true Jerusalem uh, that Christ is bringing us into one day in your kingdom. And for now, that we would continue looking there and trusting in you. In Jesus' name, amen.